I've been asking a few of you the last couple of weeks what you've been doing lately to keep focused with all the stuff going on. I mean, we got a lot of stuff going on around us right now. And I got some real interesting uh, responses. One of you said that you've been driving, been going for drives. The weather's good. You've been taking a lot of drives. And uh, in fact, one of you told me last week that as soon as you get out of your car, things get fuzzy again. You get right back in. Go for, I said, what do you drive? Ford Focus. <laughs> One of you said you've been prospecting gold again, which is interesting. I understand the Gold Creek just north of uh, Martinsville is starting to produce again. That's a true story. People are doing that. And I thought it was cool. We'll see how that pans out for them. Come on, I'm going to keep telling them. One person told me that they've just been taking a lot of selfies. That keeps them focused on themselves. And one more. Somebody was telling me they've been working out a lot. That helps them focus. In fact, they've been working out that gym on the west side. I don't know the name of it right over here, you know. And um, they said last week they were working out, and there was a chicken running around in there. And they said, man, it was just, well, I couldn't figure out what the chicken was doing. And I finally said to the manager, I'm having a hard time focusing with this chicken. He said, don't worry about this chicken. He's just working on his pecs. Let me, <laughs> Folks, we got to stay focused. We've been talking about that. The world is counting on us right now with all the stuff going on. So here's how we stay focused. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Our focus is pretty clear based on that text. It's got to be on Jesus Christ. Listen, he's the truth. We keep talking about this. The world needs truth, and we have it in Jesus Christ. But having said that, isn't that an odd scripture when you think about it? I mean, we just talked about the crucifixion a couple weeks ago and how horrific it is, terrifying, We've seen the passion of Christ, and then we come across the text that says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, how in the world do you find joy in all that ugly? Well, the simple answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. One way or another, we are in times right now, family, where spreading around a little joy is a breath of fresh air, because there's ugly everywhere, and we need to talk about this. Jesus told the disciples on the night before he died, he said, you're going to run into some tough times. It's going to get nasty. But I don't want you to feel defeated, I don't want you to be despairing, and I don't want you to give up. Why? Because in just a little while, on the other side of this thing, it's going to be a joy unspeakable. It's going to be amazing. And then he told him in John 16, 16, which is our scripture this morning, so you can turn there if you want, pull out a blue Bible if you need one, keep it. You can pull it up on your phone or I'll have it up on the screen. He says in John 16, 16, Jesus said this, he said, in a little while you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what's he mean by saying in a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a while, you'll see me because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what's he mean by in a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a while, you'll see me. And as they were shaking their head, yeah, we were wondering. He said, well, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn, and while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets all the anguish because of her joy that the child is born in the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And listen to this, and no one will take away your joy. When this happens, no one will take away your joy. And then I love this. You will no longer ask me anything. <sighs> no more questions. I like that. So, ladies, what do you think of that metaphor? 
Women has pain until they give birth and then it's gone. Is that true, by the way? Because personally, I've never had a baby, praise God. I'll tell you, it got close years ago when uh, Ashley was born, Angie and I took the Lamaze course. I don't even know if they do Lamaze class anymore. But my job was to uh, take care of her when she was discomfort uh, and help her to breathe. And as a coach and a a husband, I wasn't to use the word pain. They said it was too negative. So I used to say, honey, are you in discomfort? Which is a stupid thing to say if they're in discomfort. You know what I mean? And, and I really, I was to help her breathe. And uh, I'm serious. I just, my heart wasn't in it for a couple of reasons. Number one, she already knew how to breathe. She'd been doing that for the better part of 20 years. And I also couldn't understand how breathing was going to help her with the pain I knew was coming. You know what I mean? And number two, we were going to take drugs. And you don't need to breathe when you're on drugs. But here's the problem. Some of the pain came before the drugs. And she said things to me I would never repeat from up here. You know what I mean? So I, so I coached. I coached. In fact, talking to Focus, I tried to tell a few jokes, but she told me to stop and just work on my delivery. Here, here's Jesus' point. It's not that a woman develops amnesia or something. It's not she forgets the pain. The point is the joy of giving birth is so overwhelmingly huge that the pain looks like it goes away. What started in pain ends in joy. I love the way Wearsby says it. He said it's not that the mother's joy is re, or his pain is replaced by joy. It's that it's transformed into joy. Isn't that good? And Jesus told the disciples, that's the way it's going to be for you. Things are going to get ugly, and they did get ugly. These, these Christians were not spoiled and pampered like we are. They couldn't decide, oh, we'll worship today. Oh, no, we're sleeping in today. Oh, we, no, no, no. In fact, some of these early Christians were beaten just for being Christians. And the Bible says when they were beaten for that, they rejoiced that they'd been counted worthy in being beaten for Jesus Christ. What kind of people do that? Throw them in prison, lock them up in chains, and they break out in a gospel song. And these people had nothing. I mean, they had nothing. You talk about extreme poverty. Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians 8-2, out of their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty was huge generosity. turns out Jesus was right all along. Nobody could take away their joy at all. And I'm reminding you, family, nobody should be able to take our joy. I don't care what you're reading. I don't care what you're watching. I don't care what you're seeing. Nobody should be able to take our joy from us. So how about it? What is taking your joy right now? Jesus would say later on in that same teaching in John 15, 11, uh, I, I have given my joy. My joy is complete. Now I'm turning my joy over to you so your joy, you can be full. What's it mean to be full? It means you can't eat another bite. It means you're so full of it. Jesus was so full of joy. He even had joy all the way to the cross. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. I'm not. How did he do that? I mean, they hunted him down like an animal. A fake mock trial. They beat him and jeered him, and he still never lost his joy. How did that happen? Well, uh, Frank Lake says that it was because of the way Jesus lived his life. He lived his life in the cycle of grace. Now, I found this several years ago, and I used some of it. I'm going I'm to talk to you a little more today. I got it third hand from John Ortberg, who got it from a sermon by Gary Moon, who got it from reading a book by Trevor Hudson. But it is so biblically sound and so needed today. So in the time we have left this morning, uh, an hour and a half or so, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about the cycle of grace so we can get our joy back. Some of us need our joy back, you know what I mean? Here's number one, acceptance. That's where the cycle of joy begins. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, 
when Jesus was baptized, it's described this way. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You remember that passage? We just talked about it. Eric just taught us this passage from John's perspective on Wednesday night at Bible study, which has been amazing, by the way. Can you think about how Jesus must have felt when he heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son, this is your identity, and I love you, that's your worth, that's your value, and with you I'm well pleased. That's acceptance. Before he did anything, any achievements, no ministry, nothing had happened yet. And that's joy. Now, some people just have this instinctively. I have uh, uh, several grandchildren. One of them that just has this is Acton. Acton is just full of joy. Now, he's got horns, too, and we've all seen them. But this boy is full of joy, and he loves birthdays, man. And when, when he was four years old, he invented a game on his birthday up at Gigi's, which is his mom's house. Watch this. This is a kid full of joy. Right? That's how you play that game. <laughs> that, that's joy right there, you know. That's birthday joy. This kid knows how to celebrate. And, you know, we celebrate our very existence on our birthday. But when you think about it, we got nothing at all in it. Nothing. In fact, you're never more, uh, you're never less competent, never less useful, never weaker, never uglier, never slimier. <laughs> never more in a nuisance than you are on the day that you were born, and yet we celebrate that. Why? Because it's grace, man. To be born is just grace, and we celebrate grace. I, I read about a 104-year-old woman who drinks three Dr. Peppers a day. Now, this is not a joke, so don't wait for the punchline. This is true. Her doctors have told her for years if she didn't quit drinking, Dr. Pepper is going to kill her. She says, all of my doctors are dead, by the way, and I still drink Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper heard about that, and they sent her a gift basket. A gift basket. Why? For just not dying. I mean, that's grace. Do you understand me? When you think about this for a minute, if you were born and you're kicking today, that's grace. That's pure grace. And you add to that the acceptance of God, and you've got joy, my friend. You've got joy that nobody should ever be able to take from you. You're my son whom I love. I'm well pleased. Now, other than the baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration, we don't know if Jesus ever heard that voice again, but we know he lived his life based on hearing that voice because he put up with unbelievable human rejection, and it never, ever tipped the scale of his joy. Why? Because you're my son whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. It's interesting you never find Jesus asking God to give him an easier life. Could you give me some more money? Could you help people being a little less uh, nasty to me? No, he just lived the voice. And this is where you and I have it made again, this grace business, because John would later write, out of his fullness, Jesus, we all have received the blessings of this grace. All of us. That's why Jesus would later on say, I, I want my joy to be in you, and I want your joy to be complete, and nobody can take it from you. 
I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, joy is not pleasure or mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. Isn't that good? Joy is not something that happens to us when everything goes right and we, you know, we hit the lottery, we get something good happens to us, and we get this temptation. No, joy is a pervasive, constant sense of well-being that everything's going to be okay. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. God's got it. Everything's going to be okay. And that's joy, and that's what Jesus wants us to have. How do we get that? Let me ask you, do large amounts of alcohol and other drugs give you a pervasive, constant sense of well-being? Not even close, and yet people are chasing that everywhere. The alcohol consumption in this country has tripled since COVID started. It's amazing. It won't work. Neither will applause or achievement or human approval, the right title, technology, education, or money. In fact, there's only one thing in all the universe that will give you this kind of joy, and that's the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's why Pascal says there's a God-shaped hole in every heart that only God can fill. And if you don't let God fill that, there's no way you can have joy. That's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Why? Because it's the only place you can get it. Nobody else, nothing else can give it to you. That's why Nehemiah says uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Clap, clap, clap. That's how the song goes. The God of the universe is crazy about you. I don't care who you are or what you've done. He's crazy about you. And Dallas Willard, my favorite quote from him is, there's no limit to his goodness or his power to carry it out. That's joy. And again, nothing can take that from you. You fix your eyes on Jesus. No amount of hurt or pain or guilt or sin can take this away. It's a gift of grace purchased on the cross from God through Jesus Christ. So we get the acceptance. I mean, when you sit and think about that, Nobody can take that from us. I've heard people say for years, I accepted Jesus when I was 10. I accepted Jesus when I was 11. I don't want to offend anybody, but you didn't accept him at all. He accepted you. He loved you before you ever knew who he was. That's amazing. That's the first step. i got to hurry. Number two is sustaining grace. Very important to realize Jesus just didn't hear this voice once or twice and then live his life that way. He found a way to replenish this joy every day. Sometimes he had to do it every hour. What are some of the things that Jesus did to replenish his joy? Well, he had a lot of close friends, and he had 12 really close friends, the disciples, and he had three amazingly close friends of Peter, James, and John, which should remind us how important small groups are. And Paul Mizell's getting that going again with the help of Angie and Claudia and some others. And we need to get those going and back up again. This is amazingly important for us to have our joy. We do know that he engaged in regular corporate worship. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. On the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. That was his custom. What do you mean by that, preacher? I mean, Jesus went to church weekly. Weekly. It's important. I mean, if you get out of the habit of coming to a group of people like this, like we have, and loving on each other, and laughing with each other, and praying with each other, you get it out of that habit, and it's not your custom anymore, then you look at me uh, in the face with a straight face and tell me that you haven't lost some joy. You can't do it, because you need this. Every person I've talked to that's come trickling back in here after this COVID business has said the same thing. Oh my goodness, I missed this. I had no idea. Jesus read Scripture. Jesus went, on, uh, went out into creation. He went on walks. He went to garden. He went down the lake. He walked on the lake. Don't try that, by the way. Uh, you know, he spent time with children. He blessed them. He laughed with them. He sang with them. He taught them. 
He replenished his joy. I told you my family and I just got back from out west a couple of months ago. We went to Zion and Bryce Canyon and the Grand Canyon. It's all this beautiful stuff. And your, your heart just gets full of the joy of the creation of God. I mean, I could have been in Chicago, the epicenter of the curse of the garden, you know. I'm just kidding. Anybody from Chicago, it's a joke. But we saw this creation. It was just amazing. The point is you find out whatever it is that God uses in your life to replenish your joy and do it for heaven's sakes. Go do it. It's time. Some of you remember Craig Jackson. He was our, my first time, full-time uh, person here on staff. He was a youth minister years ago, and he was energetic and smart and athletic and an airhead. He's one of the only guys I ever met that thought the E on your gas tank stood for enough. That kid ran out of gas two, three times a month. And the first two times I was with him. So I guess I was an airhead too, but I learned pretty quickly. My point is this. Jesus does not want us run around on empty feet, but we cannot run on empty these days. People are counting on us. I think sometimes we think it honors God when we just wear ourselves out. It does not. We're living in tough times right now. And it's going to be tough on the outside. And at least Jesus, bless his heart, was honest with us. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But you be of good cheer, full of joy, because I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you some rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, and in me you will find rest for your soul. That's called sanctification, replenishing your joy. The next step is significance. This is where you and I begin to notice is grace is not just flowing in us. It's flowing out of us. Most of us know that it's in the nature of a Christian to want to share this good news. I mean, it just is. And so that's what we do. But here's the problem. If you get into an, uh, an inbound, outbound imbalance, an input outbound, output imbalance, you go down quick. I mean, real quick. You try to give joy and not get it back, you'll dry up. You try to give grace and not get it replenished, you'll dry up. So you got to make sure it's coming in so you can get it out. That's one of the reasons I'm serious. I've been praying about this. Why I've been asking you guys to come back up to this altar. It's clean. It's a lot cleaner in Walmart, I'll tell you. I've seen a lot of people in Walmart. It's cleaner in Kroger. We need to get back up here. Why? So we can be replenished by the Holy Spirit. This is not a magical place, but it is a powerful place. This church is known as a house of prayer. We're known as a church that prays, and this is where we do it. And I'm telling you, you come up here on Sunday and let the Holy Spirit fill you back up. You've got something to give out. And I'm going to tell you something you might want to try this morning. Because when you're up here, you didn't care whether anybody's looking or not. Raise your hands this morning. Come up here and pray, and when you're done, lift your hands to God. Maybe when they're singing, lift them up and sing. You, you will not believe the flow. It's crazy. It's amazing. Uh, Tony Campala was flying from Los Angeles to Chicago years ago, and he said he got on the first leg, and he sat next to this gal, and he started talking to her about Jesus, and she couldn't get enough. They talked all the way to Denver. She took down his email, and he was going to send her some stuff. Changed planes in Denver and started in Chicago. He sat down next to a kid, this young man, and he didn't want to hear anything at all about Jesus. I don't want anything to do with that, he said. In fact, I don't want to talk. I want to nap. So Tony said, okay. He said, I let the kid go to sleep. I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me, and I just leaned on him all the way to Chicago. That's what you do. Get it in, get it out. That's what we're talking about. And the last step 
uh, is achievements called action. In the church, we call it fruit. Man, Jesus' life was full of fruit, wasn't it? In the three years, the things he got done, he taught, he traveled, he healed, he explained, he recruited, put together a huge team, discipled, developed, confronted. He did more in three years than most of us do in a lifetime. But you look back in the way he did it, just read it in the New Testament, and he not only did it with style, he did it with a smile on his face. He did it full of joy. Why? Because that's what it feels like when you serve the Father. They asked him one time, they said, hey, aren't you hungry? And he said, I have food to eat. You have no idea. They said, well, what do you bring, bread or something? And he just told them straight up, my food is to do the will of one who sent me. That's where I get it. That's where you get filled up. Most of you in here know what I'm talking about. Because serving God in any capacity. I mean, we see it up here with the praise team. Remember, we, it doesn't matter what group you put up here, the little girl. They're just up. They got their hands up, and they're, they're swaying, and they're full. Why? Because they're serving God, and it just fills them up. You want, you want to get filled up? Cut the grass. You, did you notice it didn't get cut this week? Because I didn't stay on it. I asked two or three people to get back. I'll cut it tomorrow, and I'll feel good doing it. Uh, they're asking help with the children's ministry. Mark's always asking help with the youth ministry. We got facility teams if you don't like to be up front. We got all kinds of places. You all know as well as I do, you serve in the kingdom. Man, oh man. There's nothing like serving God. Nothing like it. But the best place to get full is this altar on Sunday. Right here at this table, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is where it's at. Um, I had a I've had more than one friend tell me, well, in our church, we only take communion once a quarter. I kind of understand why. But I always ask them, how come you only take it once a quarter? Well, because if you take it every week, then it loses its, you know, and sometimes you don't know what you're doing. And I said, oh, do you only pray once a quarter? (laughs) Do you only serve once a quarter? No, you don't do it once a quarter. You do it once a week, and you focus when you do it. So come up here this morning and focus on the grace he loves you. Yeah, if you haven't done a thing yet, and you can't do a thing to keep it, it's just yours forever. It's amazing. Uh, one more thing, and I'm going to sit down and let you guys come up here and do this. But, you know, I was thinking about this just last night. How we, I, you know, I think Christ is coming soon. I tell you that all the time. And I, I think any minute. I think we're running out of time. But I'll tell you, how, how you get from now until he comes back has a lot to do with your focus, too. I mean, think about that. If I'm in the dentist chair for an hour, it seems like four hours. If I'm out in a boat fishing for an hour, it seems like ten minutes. If you're waiting on Christ to return, concentrating on his acceptance, letting it flow in you and out of you by serving in his kingdom, I promise you, it's going to go just like that. But if you're concentrating on his second coming, reading the news, watching the finance page, thinking about what this political party's going to do and what that political party's going to do and if we can ever get it turned back around one way or the other it's going to seem like forever fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith for the joy set before him gave it all up for you spend some time with him this morning